Good morning. My name is Mark and I'm one of the pastors here. Appreciate your attendance. Thanks for your prayers uh, for me last week. Some of you know I was drowning in 67 little kids last week and um, things ended up going pretty well at basketball camp. And uh, for the third straight year, I'm saying I'm not doing it next year. Okay. Uh, it's not, it's, it, for some reason, it's harder for me to do it than it was six years ago when I started that. Maybe that has to, something to do with 54 and 60 or something like that. I don't know. You know, I'd really like the camp to continue. Uh, I would really like to pass the ball to someone. Uh, but right now, I don't know of anybody to pass that off to. We've got more kids coming to camp than we've ever had. We've, a lot of kids have been influenced by the camp. Uh, let me tell you an email I got this morning. Um, it was one of the, it was the parents of one of the kids that went to the camp and she said, Hey, we won't be in church this morning and we're leaving on vacation Sunday morning. And, uh, I went to tell our little girl that who went to basketball camp, tucked her in on Saturday night and reminded her that we're going to get up early and hit the road and we won't be going to church. And she goes, Oh, I have to go to church. She goes, that's the rules of basketball. You have to go to church. So you never know what people are hearing from you. I don't know how I said that's the rules of basketball, but uh, I guess I guess that I did. Okay. Hey, um, we're starting a, a new a new sermon series that's going to take us all the way through the summer, and we've uh, called it uh, "Summer on the Mount," and it is going. To, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount all during June, July, and probably into August as well. And uh, that's Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Obviously, we won't be able to cover totally everything in that, but we'll cover a lot of that. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is found there. It's also found in an abbreviated form in Luke chapter 6. But uh, we start today with what are called the Beatitudes. And I'm going to kind of give you a 30,000 square foot look at the Beatitudes as we kind of fly over them. And, meet, and I'm going to talk to you just a little bit about these Things that are called blessed are you if you are whatever and so forth. And you've heard them before. You've heard them read before. And uh, nowhere in the, t the Sermon on the Mount is there some more convicting stuff and searching stuff than in the Beatitudes. One thing I want to be able to tell you is when you go through the Sermon on the Mount, um, this is written to Christians. It's not written to unbelievers. The Bible clearly says that Jesus pulled his disciples to him and told them these things, okay? So I don't want anyone here in, in any message that we're going to have to hear that this is for unbelievers or this is for you on how do I become a Christian because the bar is set really, really high. Jesus is casting a vision for the person that he wants you to be. Jesus is casting a vision for the person that he wants you to become. And that's what Christianity is really about. Christianity is becoming someone different than you're not. Christianity is not just about doing this and doing that and doing this, uh, making sure I go there and don't go here. It's about being changed on the inside out. It's being ha something happening to you on the inside and thus your actions then change. It's not changing your actions and hoping something changes on the inside. It's allowing God to dig down deep inside of you and totally changing you from the inside out. And that's done by God's Holy Spirit. And we're on we have Pentecost Sunday here today. I just don't want anybody to say that, hear this and say, wow, I got to do better as a Christian. If you heard that, you heard the wrong message. 
It's not that you have to do better as a Christian. It's that you have to surrender to more to the Holy Spirit of God in your life. It's not that you have to grit your teeth more. And I have to go to church more and give more and serve more and be more obedient. Da, 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 da. The Pharisees had all of that. The Pharisees had every bit of that. And in the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's 520 of Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And if it doesn't exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're no better than they are. And Jesus had his toughest, toughest words for the Pharisees. So I want you to hear all of this, not as, wow, that's a pretty high bar. I better jump higher to get over that bar. No, God, would you do more work in my heart? God, would, would, would you reach down inside of me and change me from the inside out? Nowhere, nowhere, and I don't think in any place in God's teaching do we see more need for something called the born-again experience than we do in the Beatitudes. Man, you look at that and it says, man, that, that takes a different type of person. That takes a supernatural activity of something that's got to happen in me. That's just, not, that's just not me trying harder. And we see this all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, but especially in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are, are, tells you how you can be blessed by God. Because it says, blessed are the, and blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the poor in spirit, and so forth, and so, so on. It tells you how you can have God's favor in your life. Now, I rebel against this, but it's true, but I don't like, I'll tell you this because it's true, but I don't like to teach it this way. A good translation of the Greek word is happy. Now, the definition of the word happy has changed from 2,000 years ago. For us, happy is, depends on our circumstance circumstances I'm happy if the sun is shining and I'm unhappy if it's raining and our happiness can be one day and we won't be happy the next day and and the word blessed even though that's a good translation 2,000 years ago the meaning has changed over the year to, to be blessed uh, in in this connotation means that that I I have a, an uh, inward contentment that is not dependent upon my circumstances uh, an inward steadiness, an inward levelness that's not dependent on my circumstances. And so many of, us, many of us in life are up and down and over and under depending on our circumstances. But when you're blessed by God, there's a steadiness on the inside of you, no matter what's going on on the outside of you. So I don't like happy because I think happy is kind of a a shallow word because our, our happiness can 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 come and come and go but a, to be blessed by God is something much much deeper than that and that's what our beatitudes are talking about let's start reading this and as you read it you'll say oh mm, mm, that kind of hurts that's that that, that dug pretty deep oh is that wow that's I don't know if I meet. I don't know if I live up. To, I don't know if I live up to that one. Well, I don't know. I don't live up to that one. It's it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough. And, and 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 the reaction to that toughness is not to go. Well, the preacher beat me over a club today. Beat me over the head with a club today, and I feel beat up today. No, no, no. It's that I am pleading with you to more and more surrender your life to God's Holy Spirit. I'm pleading with you to more and more let God reach down in that decision-making part of you and change you from the inside out and you just 
take off your just cloak of churchiness and take off your uh, your code of trying to do better and take off your code of, of I'm going to do better last week, next week than I did this week and just say, God, you've got to do better through me. God, you've got to do that. I am not capable of living this Christian life unless you act upon me in a way that only you can. The Bible says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, thus the Sermon on the Mount, went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. I wish it was 2,000 years ago because 2,000 years ago, the preacher sat down and y'all stood up the whole time. But I, that's not the way. I don't, I don't feel like we're going back there, okay? All right. So the, the text clearly says his disciples came to him. Jesus saw the crowds, and the crowds meant any Tom, Dick, and Harry that needed their stomach fed, okay? Uh, the, the crowds meant any Tom, Dick, and Harry that was curious about who this person Jesus was. So he, he was weary of the crowds, and he wanted to pull away from the crowds, so he must have gone up onto the mountains and called his disciples and his most intimate followers to be with him, okay? And then, then he goes into what we understand as the Beatitudes, a life that is blessed by God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, I want you to see how absolutely different this is to the New York Times bestsellers that talk about how to live a successful life and how to have everything you want in life. How absolutely opposite this is of what the world teaches us to how to get what you want in life, okay? Uh, so this is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Man, this, this don't come naturally, man. You must be born again you must have something on the someone on the outside of you come and do something supernatural in your life christianity is a supernatural faith okay it's not just a code of conduct it's not just morals it's not just values it is those but it's not just those it is something supernatural, and you are absolutely, positively incapable of living the Christian life, of being blessed by God in these things, unless God comes down and puts his sovereign hand on you in a saving way. Unless God's Holy Spirit comes and, and comes in, a, in acknowledgement of your surrender to him, in acknowledgement of that you can't do this on your own, comes and does something you can't do for yourself. And in churches called Nazarene and Baptist and Lutheran and Presbyterian and, and all churches today, we've got people in there that are just playing the game. They're trying hard. They've maybe been baptized. They've maybe joined the church. They may be teaching Sunday school. They're trying hard to be a good person, but they've never, ever surrendered themselves to God and allowed God to do something supernatural in your life. You know what the Bible says in one place in the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, he says there's going to be a day where there's some people says, well, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things in your name? 
da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and, and the text says, Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. This is, this is one book I have in my library. You won't be able to see this, but it says 10 things I wish Jesus never said. Nine of them come from the Sermon on the Mount. This is not a goosebumpy, feel better little pat me on the back preacher sermon series. This is tough. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. How do, how do, you, how do you get to be blessed? Well, somebody came to my house and said, hey, Pastor, you got a nice house. Well, I'm blessed. I bought a new car, and well, I'm blessed. Get to go to the Caribbean on your vacation. Well, God is blessing us. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't talk too much about those kind of blessings. But when the Bible talks about blessing, it talks about being a peacemaker. It talks about being pure in heart. It talks about people who are poor in spirit. It talks about people who are persecuted. biblical blessing and I guess I'm not going to write off the fact that God can bless me with a good job and, or bless me with a raise or bless me with whatever but I just saying it's not talked about that much in scripture that way these are the blessings that come from God then 510 blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness not just persecuted for any reason not just persecuted because you're impolite and rude or arrogant, persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Okay? Because, well, I guess I'm just being persecuted. No, maybe just being dumb. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Because of me. You're blessed. You're promised a blessing in your life if you have to endure hard times because of Jesus. I got to have a meeting this week with, with a, a kid from India, goes to Cedarville, a kid from India. And his parents are ready to disown him because he's become a Christian. And they're ready for him to come back and marry some little Indian girl and start his little Hindu life. And they're not too nice about it. They were okay to pay for his little fling in the United States, but they didn't know that fling was going to meant that he was going to meet Jesus. <laughs> and somebody wants me to meet with him and fix his family problem. <laughs> Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of me. I don't want him to have family problems more than anybody, anybody else wants him to have family problems. But the Jesus not life is not always a life that people are going to love you for. Now let me go quickly. Let me go quickly through these Beatitudes. And I'm not going to do them justice at all. And I'm probably going to spend too much time on the first four and just have to breeze through the last four or something like that. But let me attempt to do this. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they can't 
Blessed are no, those who know they can't, they don't measure up. Blessed are, are those who know that they can't do it in and of their own self-sufficiency. Blessed are those who know they need someone on the outside to help them. You're blessed if you understand and come to the point where you know you're not self-sufficient in a spiritual way and you just can't try hard enough and you just can't get it done yourself. You're blessed when you become poor in spirit in that way. Before I was coming out here and Clay was praying and, you know, I preached, a, I preached a, you know, the first service at nine and usually the, the, if I do feel pressure, the pressure's off because I preached it and it feels okay for me and da-da-da. But I bowed my head there and I said, Lord, don't let me rely on my ability to speak. I'm not self-sufficient in this, okay? Unless you come by your Holy Spirit and do something, it's going to be nothing more than a lecture for these people. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I can't do this. I can't be the Christian God wants me to be. I can't. And the best place that we see a picture of this is in Luke chapter 18. You've heard this story. I probably pre preached this story. Jesus told this to some who were confident of their own righteousness. They were confident of their own right standing before God. They were self-sufficient to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. This is a made-up story. That's what a parable is. It's a made-up story to make a point. Okay, so this didn't happen. Jesus is just telling a story to try to get it through their heads, something that they don't understand. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee that and one was a tax collector. So that meant they were like here and here on first, in first century culture. The Pharisee would have been looked up to. He would have been a religious person that people would strive. I want to be like that guy. And a tax collector was uh, taking money from his own people and giving it to Rome. And so he was looked at at pretty much the bottom of the rung, okay? At least in first century Jerusalem. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. So they were in a temple. So maybe the, the Pharisee come up close to the altar or something like that. I don't know. And the Pharisee stood back there on the back row. Okay. Almost trying to give a picture of someone who felt like they were uncomfortable there or they didn't belong there or something like that. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's poor in spirit. God, have mercy on me. God, don't treat me as I deserve. God, don't be fair with me. I need mercy. That's poor in spirit. That's poor in spirit. And when, and, and when you talk to someone about the gospel, that's one of the biggest hurdle, hurdles you have to get over. Because everybody, no one thinks they're a really good person, but no one thinks they're a really bad person. Everybody thinks they're right in the middle somewhere. And they lack the ability to say, 
I'm bound for a sinner's hell unless something happens to me. Poor in spirit. I, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, meaning the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who will exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who will humble themselves will be exalted. You're promised a blessing from God. You're promised to have a blessed life if you can be poor in spirit. You don't deserve anything from God. Anything you receive from God is grace. This is not a tit-for-tat kind of relationship. He doesn't deserve. Well, I mean, I'm not as. He, you don't deserve. Well, I'm not as bad. You don't deserve anything. You're blessed. Isn't that weird? You're blessed if you have that attitude about yourself. Matthew 5, 4, the next beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. There's nine different Greek words for mourning that's used in the New Testament. This is the strongest of all of them. It's wailing. It's inconsolable grief. And it's not about like my dad died, my mom died, my husband died, my wife died. It's not that. It's 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 mourning because you've seen yourself and your distance from God. You've seen yourself and how far you are from God. You've seen yourself and you ha- you've broken God's law ever which way, and you mourn over that. And the promise is, you know, when you lose your spouse, and some of you know this, when you lose your spouse, when you lose uh, someone really really close to you. There's a certain comfort that can come and God can be near you. There's a certain comfort there. There's a certain comfort that this happens after time. We know that. But there will always be a hole in your heart. But the promise here that if you mourn this way spiritually, you will be comforted. You will be comforted. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 godly sorrow this is what we're talking about i just so so wonder the people in my office when they've gone through all kinds of mess in their life is there really a godly sorrow there or just a worldly so are they just sorry that it happened and sorry that it didn't work out the way they wanted to work out or sorry that this person was hurt or sorry that that person was hurt or are they sorry they offended a holy god The text says godly sorrow brings repentance. This is the mourning that Jesus is talking about. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I was assistant district superintendent for three and a half years and I had some leadership over 70 churches on the district and we had a pastor on our district, and, and if I called the church, you'd know what the church was, and he committed adultery on his wife. And so we went over to talk with him to try to help him, da-da-da-da-da-da. And there was no remorse there. There doesn't even look like there was any, um, 
even worldly sorrow there. So we dealt with he and his wife for several weeks, but we really didn't feel like we were making any progress at all. I was sitting in my office one day, and I got a phone call. I looked down at the phone. It was, it was him. He was crying so much on the other end, I couldn't make out his words. And I called his name. I said, listen, I can't understand you. And so he tried to get himself together and said, can you come to the park in Springboro? And so I said, sure. And so I drove to the park in Springboro and I pulled up in the parking lot and I saw him over across the distance by the backstop on the softball field. And I, I, I literally, as God is my witness, I just saw him on his knees and he was just, he was just doing this. And I walked over to him and he was just crying. He was mourning. He goes, I can't believe I did it. I can't believe I did it. He was repenting. And repentance ain't fun. He realized that he lost his wife, he lost his family, he lost his church, he lost his ordination. God has miraculously restored that marriage. Not restored his ministry, he restored his marriage. Blessed are those who mourn. <laughs> you, you get a, you're promised a blessing if you mourn. Go to James 4 8. James 4 8 is a passage in the back of the New Testament. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Don't this make you feel good? This is a big self-esteem type of sermon, isn't it? Five-five of Matthew says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that know they don't have it all together. Blessed are those that will submit themselves to God. Blessed are those who will bring themselves under the authority of Scripture. Blessed are those who are meek enough not to be able to have your own way and, and you'll submit yourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Blessed are you when self no longer reigns in your life and it's no longer about you and it's about what God can do through you blessed are you blessed are the meek that word meek is used in some other languages as strength under control it's it's that the Greek word is actually used on training an animal bringing an animal under control so it's not like timidity it's not like being a coward, not speaking up. It's not that. It's strength under control. It's, it's doing the right thing. It's, it's, being, it's, being, it's being strong, but it's being gentle with that strongness. It's, it's, it's doing the right thing and being assertive if the time calls for, for you to be assertive, but it's doing it not in a brash, in a me type of way. 
lesser of the meek. Where do you read that? You know, where do you read that in the world today? Do you see this is upside down? It's just. And that's like, I think that's why the world misses it. It's just so contrary to the way the world operates. It's just so contrary to the way the world operates. James 1.21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly, humbly accept the word that's planted into. How many people say, well, yes, but, or, or, or I, I, you know, it looks like it means that, but, no, you're, you're, you, there's a meekness about you that you will submit yourself to God and through the authority of his word. You'll bring yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Be patient. Be humble. Be gentle. There's great strength in people who have their emotions under control. There's great strength in people that can control themselves, keep their head when everyone else around them is losing theirs. There's a blessing promised you if by the Holy Spirit of God that happens in your life. 1 Peter chapter 3, this, this passage talks about evangelism. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do so in a gentle and in a respectful way. I've heard some presentations of the gospel. I've seen things on YouTube. You've seen them too. People out witnessing it on beaches and stuff like that. And it's almost like they're trying to pin somebody in a corner. How's that going to work for you? The, the, the gospel is not something that you're going to argue someone into. But give someone a reason for the hope that you have. And when you do that, do it with gentleness and respect. And why respect? Because they may not totally understand it or agree with you or they may not have had the Holy Spirit working in their life to draw them yet and you don't want to turn them off in any way you may just be planting some seed that's going to be harvested four years from now give a reason for the hope that you have but do so in a meek in a gentle and in a respectful way Matthew 5 6 Blessed are you if you're just hungry and thirsty for God to do this kind of work in your life. Blessed are you if you're hungry and thirsty for living close to God. Blessed are you if you hunger and you thirst for living closer to God tomorrow than you did today. You're blessed if you have this type of passion inside of you. You're blessed if you just have this kind of desire inside of you that you want to be closer tomorrow than you are today. 
You're blessed if you have that desire. That's not of God. That, excuse me, that's not of you. That's of God. You didn't come up with that idea. God is working in your life to make you hunger and thirst for godly things. Psalm 42, you've heard, we used to sing this, didn't we? We thought we were real cool singing this little chorus back then. We thought we were so modern, didn't we? Y'all remember that? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You're blessed if that's the type of relationship you have. And all of us, in, at times in our Christian life, we may get a little stale and the passion may wear out and say, oh, God, create a new heart in me. God, renew the passion that you have that I once felt two years ago. Don't just get used to going on with a passionless life. Don't get used to the fact that you're not hungry and not thirsty. You're blessed if you're hungry. You're blessed if you're thirsty. It's what the Bible says. Psalm 42. Um, Psalm, uh, Psalm 42, two, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with him? Psalm 63 uh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. If you have something of that in your spirit and you see that growing in increasing measure, and when you see it waning, you get on your knees, not because you're going to hell and you're worried you're going to hell, but God, renew a right spirit within me. You're blessed if that's what you have. You're blessed if you just haven't gotten used to same old, same old. You're blessed if you just won't settle for same old, same old. And that's an inside job. That's not something you can grit your teeth and do. That's not something you can just be more obedient. That's something God has to do on the inside of you. God, I'm I'm, I'm not sufficient to do this on my own. Do something only you can do. Five seven of Matthew, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, because I have been shown mercy for, from God. I'm to show mercy for other people. Matthew 9 is a good story on this. You've heard it read many times. Jesus went to the party with the tax collectors and prostitutes and all the people of ill repute. And, and so it was, they all came and ate with him and his disciples, and this was a big deal for the Pharisees. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked of his disciples, why does, why does he want to hang around these kind of people? Why does he, why don't he hang around? And the story continues. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. This is an Old Testament passage. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You can, you can, you can lay all the fatted calves you want to and sacrifice them all in an Old Testament kind of way. But he says, I desire mercy. I desire mercy. I don't desire sacrifice. For I've come to call the righteous, not the sinners. 
for I have not come, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Friends, um, um, as you look at people around you, do you say, there but the grace of God go I? And is there anything that I can do? Have, have mercy. Have mercy on people. I don't return evil for evil. Have mercy on them. I, let, I can let things roll off my back. I don't have to get back at people. Have mercy on people. I, it, it, they, they haven't been raised any better than that. They, they didn't have a mom and dad like I had a mom and dad that taught me not to or taught me to do this. I, I, don't, I don't look down on them. I, I feel sorry. Is there anything I can do? And sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't. Blessed if you have a heart of compassion and not only a heart of compassion, but a heart that makes you then do something. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart. He didn't say blessed are the pure in walk. He didn't say blessed are the pure in talk. He said blessed are the pure in heart. Because if you get your heart right, your walk and your talk will take care of itself. And that's what this is about. This is about my heart. This is about God, come and change my heart. My, God, my heart's not right. God, I don't like that about my heart. I don't like that I just thought that. I don't like that I feel in this way. God, would you take this away from me? And for the person that has that kind of heart, a heart with good motives, a heart with pure motives, the execution may not be exactly right, but the motives are right. God promises a blessing. The pure in heart. You see, God, listen, God is more interested in the why than the what. He wants to know why you do something. He wants to get at the motive. He wants to get at the intent. He can see that. We can't see that. That's why we're not supposed to judge. God, God wants to know the God knows your heart. He wants to know the intent. Why you did. He, what you did, that can take care of itself. We can get that better if we work on the why. If we work on the heart. Do you see why? That John... Chapter 3 says, you must be born again. Look at this stuff here. This is the vision that God has for his disciples. This is the type of Christians that he's looking for. And it's not ones that just grin and try harder. It's one that say, God, do more work. Deeper, deeper work. Nobody obeyed more than the Pharisees did, but theirs was an external obedience. They cleaned the outside of the cup and left the inside dirty. Oh, God, would you clean the inside? And I know if my inside of that cup is clean, the outside will eventually take care of itself. 5.9 of Matthew says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you if you have something inside of you that, that wants to make things more peaceful, that is uncomfortable with that tension, that's uncomfortable with that strife, that's uncomfortable with that conflict. Blessed are you if you put your neck on the line and go to try to solve some 
ill will between people. Blessed are you because you're going to be misunderstood. Blessed are you because you'll probably come back on you. But blessed are you for having a heart that wants to make peace. Blessed are you for sticking your nose in someone's business because you care enough about them that you don't want them to go on that way anymore. Blessed are you, not when you just avoid conflict, but when you get involved and get in the middle of that conflict to try to make peace. And man, that's hard. And you'll be misunderstood. And you mean that may be in the loser in, there, in that. And people won't understand what you're doing. And people think you stuck your nose where you shouldn't be. But the scripture says you'll be blessed for it. Now, I know there's a line to walk and all that. I get that 100%. Blessed are you when you don't stick your head in the sand. Blessed are you when you love people enough to try to make peace. Can't be a peacemaker unless there's peace inside of you. If there's friction in your own spirit, you're not going to be able to help anybody else. You've heard me quote this scripture a hundred times, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace. And you got to walk across the room or you got to walk across the hall or you got to walk the street to make peace. You are blessed, the Bible says. Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort. It's not just about avoiding conflict and staying out of that trouble and keeping my nose clean, staying out of it. Make every effort to live in peace. Older translations say strive. Strive. Make every effort. You'll be blessed. You're promised favor from God. You're promised favor from God if you're a peacemaker. If you'll get involved with the conflict and try to make peace. It's easy to stay out of it. It's easy to, to say it's none of my business. It's easy to say, well, you know, I, I don't have to do that. Jesus could have said that. He was the second person of the Trinity, seated at the right hand of God. Philippians 2, 5 says he left that place. It says your, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of her servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. For him to be a peacemaker, that's what he was. The Bible says he made peace between us and God, right? Because there's no peace. If, I, if, I, if I'm not in right relationship with God, the Bible says there's enmity between God and I. So for him to make peace... Peace, he had to leave his heavenly home, leave the comfort of being the second person of the Trinity, leave the comfort of the Son of God and all the glory and worship they were receiving and come down here and become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Peacemaking is hard. Hmm. But you're promised a blessing. Hmm. This is a high bar to set and I can't achieve it and you can't achieve it apart from God's Holy Spirit indwelling us in a real way apart from me being poor in spirit and saying I just can't something has to come on me from the outside 
Well, let's finish. Matthew 5.10. It's where the Beatitudes end up here. And basically these Beatitudes says, not everybody's going to like you. If you think Christianity is about everybody liking you and you being a hero and everybody think you're God's greatest gift, you are sorely, sorely disillusioned. The world, the world, this text says, some parts of the world will turn their back on you. Persecute you. We, we, we think of that word persecution as, as Christians being persecuted in another country, and that happens. It's happening in alarming, alarming rates. But every day, people, while this isn't kind of any kind of persecution like some people are going through, every day people will talk behind your back, think you're a little fanatical, because everybody thinks religion's okay if you just leave it right here in its place. But when you start this peacemaking stuff, man, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Not because you're arrogant, because of righteousness. Not because you're rude, because of righteousness sake. Because you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to do what God wants you to do. And sometimes when that happens, people are not going to understand it. And there'll be some difficulty coming in your life. I even hate to call it persecution because we don't have much persecution in the United States. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Here it is, because of me, because of Jesus. Next slide. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. You are blessed. Now, that blessing might not come now. You have to live with an eternal perspective on things. It says rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. You can't just live for the temporal Obviously, I didn't do the Beatitudes justice at all and just did a quick flyover. But I hope that what you got from this is you need to go deeper. And I do too. You need more grace. And I do too. You need to become a new person. Almost like you've been born again. I talked to some people in this church, and if I was preaching in Presbyterian church, I'd say the same thing. Baptist church, same thing. Lutheran church, same thing. Doesn't make any difference. Some of you are just going to church. You're trying, you're, you've stopped cussing. You may have stopped smoking. Good for you. <laughs> but you must be born again. And that starts with being poor in spirit, mourning in repentance. 
bring yourself meekly under the lordship of Christ and he changes you that you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You become a person that is, is, is merciful, that, it, that that's heart can be changed so that you're pure in heart and that person that wants peacekeeping, even though everything's not going to be peaceful for you because you'll be persecuted. Those of you that have just been putting on the church clothes, you've been trying hard. Your wife really wanted you to, and you've been trying. And you know what? Good for you. But it ain't it. Your Christianity is a heavy yoke on you that way. You need something supernatural. I, walk, I walked out of Calvary Baptist Church in August of 1993, and I knew he touched me. How do you know that, Mark? I don't know how I knew it, but I know it. I needed him to. I asked him for it. I humbled myself. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Then there are some here, you know what I'm talking about, but you've lost your passion. Your Christianity has become same old, same old. Talk to him. God, that's not what it's about. Give me the passion that I once had. Renew a right spirit within me. Our servers are coming to the table. Can I say for the third or fourth time, the Sermon on the Mount will send you to hell if you're trying to use it to get to heaven. The only way you get to heaven is admitting your need, confessing your sins, and allow God from the outside to do this work in your life. If you're trying to obey the Ten Commandments and somehow make yourself acceptable to God, that's works righteousness. It's filthy rags in front of God. Come to the cross and let him start doing something from the inside out in your life. Father, use this message now as it needs to be used in my life and everyone else's. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.